How often are you presented with an offer to compromise on your convictions? How easy is it to hold fast when the potential fallout is both swift and stinging? Through Fiery Furnace and Lion's Den, we are invited to develop our own godly courage, the faithful trust through flame and fury that our Redeemer will forever stand by our side. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. It's important for me to stand up for what I believe in um, because, you know, as a mom, my kids are looking to me to be the example um, of how they can approach the world and how they can um, do what's right in every situation and rely on the Lord in those situations. I think it's important to stand up for what you believe in, um, not just because it's for yourself, but it's for others. And they can see that if you stand up, they can stand up for what they believe in too. And also for other people to relate to what you believe in too, to see that they're not alone. I know personally that other people are watching uh, and my influence on other people, uh, whether it be my family, my friends, or little brothers, uh, really can change their lives. And I need to show others that I truly believe um, and truly know that if I live a certain way, then, then good things will come from that. Welcome everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us today for our show. Uh, the topics for our discussion come from the book of Daniel, chapters one through six. And the first topic is, I can trust in the Lord when my faith is tried. And the second topic is, the godly courage of Daniel. And to help us with our discussion today, we want to first uh, welcome one of our scholars, Gay Strathard. Gay, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Uh, Gay is a professor in the Department of Ancient Scripture at Brigham Young University and has a PhD in religion from Claremont Graduate University. She's an author, a popular presenter at BYU's Education Week, and she was born in Australia. And seated next to Gay, we have our special guest, President Camille Johnson. President Johnson, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. President Camille Johnson is the current primary general president for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She is a lawyer, the mother of three, and she and her husband served as mission leaders in Peru. And uh, I have to ask, how many grandchildren do you have? We have five grandchildren. See, I was told that at some point, you don't even, you don't not only ask how many kids, but it's the grandkids that you're really proud to mention, so. It's a pleasure to be a Grammy. <laughs> well, we're really excited to have uh, both of you here with us today. You know, and that leads us right into our first topic. I can trust in the Lord my faith is tried. And Daniel is gonna be put in a lot of situations and his companions as well, uh, where his faith is gonna be tried. So Gay, will you give us a little bit of a background to help us better understand the story uh, as we go into the book of Daniel? So this was a really important time. We have a lot of things going on in Judea and the Babylonians come and they're going to lay siege to Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar becomes a, an instrument in the hands of God for judgment for the people who have broken their covenants. And as part of that, he destroys Jerusalem and he deports some of the upper class uh, of the people and takes them off into Babylon. We think that this is the time when both Ezekiel and probably Daniel and his, his friends uh, transition into Babylon. And they are immediately put into some compromising situations uh, when they get there. 
uh, that's going to test them. Uh, Sister Johnson, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the situations that Daniel and his friends find themselves in right when they get there? Well, of course, one of the first situations that they're placed in is they're set apart um, and they're given a measure of the king's meat and his wine to eat. And Daniel, true to his roots and foundation in Jehovah and, and what he must have been taught, what he was surely taught um, in Judah, said, no, I'm not gonna eat of the king's meat and the wine. Bring me essentially grains and seeds and water. And the eunuch was a little troubled about that, saying, I'm gonna be in trouble if I don't give you what the king has set apart for you. Daniel said, give us 10 days. So after those 10 days of just the seeds, the grain, the water, rather than eating the food of the king, there was a physical difference in Daniel and, and his friends. It says specifically, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. And the blessings for Daniel and his friends weren't just in their physical appearance, but then go on and read from verse 17. And for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams, which becomes significant as we go on to chapter two. Thank you so much. I would love to hear from the audience on what are some situations that we may find ourselves in, in which we are living in a world, but being asked to not be of that world. Tegan. When I used to play rugby, we, um, our whole team would go out and we'd do these big feasts. And then when, whenever they'd, my coach would be like, all right, everybody, you guys get to like order whatever you want. You guys can get drinks on me and everybody else would be ordering drinks. And I, and sometimes they'd be like, oh, yeah, Tegan, why aren't you, why aren't you getting anything? And it was never a big deal. Like they all understood, but I was able to follow up with them in practice and keep up with them in games. So what was it um, that was a little awkward at first for you and how did you overcome that? Well, for me, actually it was pretty, it was pretty, it seemed pretty normal because my team captain was the one who recruited me and he was in my seminary class. So everybody knew him and they were like, oh, he's not gonna drink. So then when I moved in and they started to get to know me, they're like, oh, well, if he's with Truman, he's not gonna be drinking either. So it's kind of easier for me, but um, I can imagine it would, it would have been pretty awkward at first if he hadn't set that up. Of course, we wanna surround ourselves with people that help us keep our standards um, and encourage us to keep you know, our, our moral values. Daniel did have his three friends and they were all in it together. Now, Gabe, this is my favorite story in, in, this, in the Old Testament, is the story of Daniel and his friends and this idea of idolatry and the refusal to worship. There are so many things from other cultures that we embrace that are good and wholesome. And there are also things that it, within our own uh, ways of worship, we are going to stand strong and we're not going to, to deviate from that path that we're on. And we have a great example with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, um, in chapter three, uh, Daniel isn't here. We don't know where he is, but this is a story about his three companions. And so Nebuchadnezzar has um, 
made this, uh, this statue and he puts it up there and says, okay, this is law. You have to come and worship this statue, right? Um, and, and that becomes problematical for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Um, and so I love the language here um, because when they choose to make a stand, um, you don't immediately see the blessings from God, mm. right? When they choose that, then Nebuchadnezzar comes back, you will do it. Mm, no, we won't. You will do it. Uh, no, we won't. I hope you're feeling the tension because that's really important there. And it gets to the point where Nebuchadnezzar says to them, if you don't do this, then I will burn you in a pit of fire. But how do they respond? Uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it so be that you throw us into this fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us. Talking about trust, mm -hmm. right? He will deliver us out of the hand, O king. And this is the part I absolutely love. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I think that that's really powerful, right? There's a great talk that was given in conference uh, a number of years ago by Elder Simmons, and he entitled it, and he spent this talk talking about this but if not aspect of this story. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew that they could trust God. Even if things didn't turn out the way they hoped, they knew that faith is more than mental assent, more than an acknowledgement that God lives. Faith is total trust in him. Faith is believing that although we do not understand all things, he does. Faith is knowing that although our power is limited, his is not. Faith in Jesus Christ consists of complete reliance upon him. We must have the same faith as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Our God will deliver us from ridicule and persecution. But if not, our God will deliver us from sickness and disease. But if not, he will deliver us from loneliness, depression or fear. But if not, our God will deliver us from threats, accusations and insecurity. But if not, he will deliver us from death or impairment of loved ones. But if not, we will trust in the Lord. Our God will see that we receive justice and fairness. But if not, he will make sure that we are loved and recognised. But if not, we will receive a perfect companion and righteous and obedient children. But if not, we will have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that if we will do all we can, we will and in his time and in his way, be delivered and receive all that he has. I love that. What are some of the modern fiery furnaces that we face when we hold true to our standards? Esteban. Yeah, so while I've been sitting here, I just had a lot to think about. And actually, uh, Gay taught me when I was in primary um, a long time ago. Gosh, that is a, a long, long time, time ago, ago yeah. right? And I remember all the teachings. I don't remember exactly the lessons, but the way that she, she taught us to know what it's saying. 
and to always stand with what um, the Lord wants for us, even when it is, to say, a pit of fire. And through Gay's teaching, I went and served a mission in Argentina. I was out there for more than two years. And during all those times, those teachings with talking with, you know, the the town drunk to say, um, yeah, we, we obviously deny um, drinking, but having that connection of standing out and being who you truly are, especially in the, the eyes of the Lord, uh, had set me up not only with that in my mission, but also my in my career. And because of all that learning and that teaching that um, Gay taught me when I was younger, I became uh, an opera singer. I thirst for knowledge. And so I sing professionally uh, all around the world. And I went back to my mission, sang in Argentina and Canada, California, other places. And with that, there's a little tradition at the end of every opera that we all get a toast and we all drink champagne. It's a little, it's a little um, superstition that they all like to do. They drink champagne just to give, you know, the opera a good send-off. Um, but everyone knows that, oh, Esteban doesn't drink. Let's, let's make fun of him. And I'm like, do you know what? That is great because I love water. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love drinking water. I drink it all the time. And so that has stand out and made me completely different. And in the end, God blesses me to, with my voice so that I may prove myself that I don't, I don't need a drink. I don't need to bend my morals to comply with everyone. God blesses me in the way that my gift stands out in the difference, and they look to my voice, which God has given me. Thank you so much. What a I love seeing these modern examples of some of these biblical heroes, and now we get a perfect example in modern times. Um, President Johnson, here we have a wonderful example of some really righteous young men that we don't know the history of their upbringing, but we can make some assumptions based off of the choices they make. So how do we ensure that as we're bringing up this next rising generation that we can instill in them that faith that Gay just demonstrated that no matter what you're facing, I'm gonna stay true. Yeah, that but if not, how do we instill that in our children? And of course, it's the obligation of their parents and their teachers and leaders to help them get to that point, but they have to do it on their own too. I had a thought the other day. There's a lot of transient information in my mind right now. Um, I don't have to remember a whole bunch of things anymore because I have a cell phone and I can just Google search things and I don't even have to remember phone numbers anymore. But I do remember my home phone number when we had landline. So there was something about that phone number, the phone number home, that was deep in my mind and in my heart. I memorized it, right? And there is so much information out there, we can't take it all in. We can't commit all of that information to our hearts and minds. But it's critically important that the most important information is committed to our hearts and minds. Do I know my home telephone number? Do I know that I am a daughter of a loving heavenly father who sent his son, the savior Jesus Christ, to atone for my sins so that through the ordinances and covenants provided to us in the temple through the priesthood, I can return to my heavenly home. Do I know that number? Do I have my home phone number in mind? 
Daniel and his friends did. They knew Jehovah. They knew our Savior, Jesus Christ. They knew that under any circumstances, right, they would be protected and saved, maybe not in the mortal sense that they were saved from a fiery furnace or from, we're gonna to get to this later, but a den of lions, but they knew that they were saved through the atonement of Jesus Christ. How do we get that into the hearts and minds of our children? We talk of Christ, we think of Christ, we make Him the center of our lives. When we renew our covenants each and every week through the sacrament, we recommit to make Him our focus. And I think these young men, Daniel and his friends, must surely have had parents who talked of Christ, who looked forward to the day that He was there. I didn't know I could love this story anymore than I did, but just with throughout this conversation, you know, and hearing some of these experiences, uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing that with us. And so thanks everybody for participating in this first uh, topic discussion. I can trust in the Lord when my faith is tried. I feel that what makes someone courageous is their ability to um, confront hard things consistently um, with a spirit of hope and faith. To me, courage is standing up for what you believe in or doing things that you may have a hard time doing. It's so important for us to stand up for what we believe in because our example can really light the way for others. This, the materials that we're studying today about Daniel are wonderful examples of those that stood up for what they believed in and their example blessed the lives of others. There was a girl who was my age who was into some things consistently that were you know, bringing her down, but she didn't realize it. So as I introduced my beliefs about uh, the best way to live and the best way to have faith, that was something that was so foreign to her, but as she tried it, um, her life changed, honestly, and she was just shocked. And so I really do have a strong belief that uh, peculiar things can, can be really good things for, for the world. So the second topic we're gonna to discuss today is the godly courage of Daniel. And this is a story that most of us are familiar with when we talk about Daniel. Um, Gabe, do you mind giving us a little bit of background um, on the law that led to Daniel in this next predicament? <laughs> Thank you. So I think the first thing to realize here is that in chapter six, we've moved in time. Uh, it's now the Persians who are in control rather than the Babylonians. And this is their second king, Darius, uh, that we're, we're talking about. So what happens here is that uh, because of uh, Daniel's experience, he's promoted very quickly. And so he becomes the right-hand man to Darius. There are three presidents, but he's the, the first of the presidents. But what that creates is a little bit of tension. Why is this foreigner getting so much um, uh, prestige or power in this new kingdom? Why not us? So instead, they decide to go to the King Darius and say, we think that you should make a decree that we can only pray to our gods, to the gods of the Persians. Um, and they, I think that they know something about Daniel that that isn't something that he's going to to do. So this becomes law and uh, Daniel decides that uh, this is one of those places where Daniel feels it's important for him to make a stand and that prayer to his God is something that he 
cannot turn away from. And President Johnson, um, what does that say about Daniel, that even his adversaries know that no matter what, he's not going to uh, go against his beliefs when it yeah, comes to prayer very, specifically. He's really deliberate. And I love this in verse 10. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, so he knew the law was in place. He was deliberate. He went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. That tells us that he developed a habit of prayer. He'd done it a four time, and this law wasn't going to stop him from being deliberate about his prayers. So we have this, uh, already we've seen throughout this, the book of Daniel, uh, examples of, of the strength and the courage that Daniel has when he's facing some pretty harsh circumstances. So we had a, a question coming from one of our viewers. I'm Joshua and I'm from Utah. My question is, how can I have more courage, like Daniel, to be loyal to Heavenly Father? I like that question. I think it's very simple, well put. Uh, so how, how can um, we have more courage like Daniel has? So if you think about what we've talked about so far, how do we have that same courage to be loyal to our Heavenly Father, or you can say to the commandments or to the gospel of Jesus Christ in general? How do we have that courage to be loyal? Sarah. Yes. I like Joshua's question, and it's a question that I've asked myself a lot during my life, and just um, seeing Joshua um, makes me think of when I was young, and the thing I've always loved to do the most is to paint and to draw, but I never would have imagined that I would be able to use that love and that passion to share my love for Heavenly Father. And a lot of times it takes courage to do it, because when you put a painting out, people immediately tell you with what they think of it. <laughs> but there is always that, there's always that doubt that creeps in before I share something. And I'm not sure if people are gonna like it or what if somebody says something and it hurts and it's hard to have courage to share it because it's so special to me because I love Heavenly Father. And the artwork I create celebrates my love for Heavenly Father. And then I also know that people come back to me and say thank you for sharing that. And I try to remember the people that were touched and let just keep working on my talent. So my advice to Joshua is to develop your talents and share them. Sarah, you're seeking validation from the source that matters most, our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus Christ, just like Daniel did. When all of the other comments are set aside, whose do you really care about? This is an offering to our Heavenly Father and the Savior. You're doing it through your art. Who do you whose opinion matters? Theirs, right? And when you're seeking validation from them, then you have the courage to stand up and send out those strong messages and show your conviction. Thank you. Thanks again, Sarah. We have a really good example of of Daniel, I mean, he's, he's not just speaking these words, he's really showing his trust in the Lord by the actions that he's taking. Mm -hmm. uh, President Johnson, do you mind? Just kind of tell us the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Sure. Okay, so King Darius has signed this law that was put in front of him by the princes and presidents that we, th we think were probably jealous of mm -hmm. Daniel. 
And so he signed this royal decree and it's quite specific. It doesn't just say you can't pray. It says, if you pray, you're going to the den of lions. So Daniel knew what the potential punishment was when he deliberately got on his knees facing Jerusalem and prayed. And of course, um, these presidents and princes were watching for this and reported it to King Darius. And when the king heard these words, this is what this says, he was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And then it goes on to say, of course, Daniel now sent to the den of lions and the king says to him, I'm reading from verse 16, the king spake and said unto Daniel, thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Consider Daniel's example to King Darius. He's now, King Darius is now pleading with Daniel's God to save him. And it goes on and says in verse 18 that he passed the night fasting and sleep went from him. So the king fasted <laughs> and he didn't sleep that night in the hopes that the God that Daniel had been praying to would in fact save him. And that is what happened. So Daniel was sent to the lion's den. That stone was rolled over it and he was shut in there with the lions for the night. But... The next morning when the stone was rolled back, Daniel was there and he was just fine. And then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. So no manner of hurt, it says, was found upon Daniel because he believed in his God. I love that. It really shows the power of, of the example that, you know, that we, when we live our lives the way that we're supposed to, it has a huge lasting impact on all those around us. So who in your life have, has shown you the power of being a good example? Shanae. Um. The person that came to mind immediately was my mother. She was a convert to the LDS church when she was 18, and her life leading up to her conversion was pretty rambunctious, as she would tell us. Um, but everything in her life after I came along, especially like everything I've known about her, has been um, just a complete devotion to God. And she has always been just the stalwart uh never giving up on any of us, no matter what we've done or what we've been through. She's always been the number one person to be like, no, Sundays we're going to church. We're going to do all these things. So my mom is definitely that stalwart example to me. I'm sure your mom is very proud knowing that you still look at those teachings that she gave you as a child and in your adult life, you're still implementing those things. Yeah, I'd like to give a specific example to what you're talking about, Shanae, here. <clears throat> about the power of mothers and, and things. And um, when I was, I don't know what I was, nine maybe, my Christmas gift was a dog, a puppy. And uh, his name was Tinker <clears throat> and he loved me. Right, I'd come home from school, I'd go around the backyard and there he was doing backflips because he was so excited <laughs> to see me. And so that, that was just really good for my sense of self, right? Well, there was one day I came home from school and uh, like normal, I just rode my bike around the backyard, but there was nobody doing backflips for me. And I'm thinking, where's Tinker? Where is he? And so I was a bit worried. You know, I was going out and trying to find him, but couldn't find him. And so 
I was just young, but I remember kneeling at the at my bed and just simple, very simple prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, please help me find Tinker. So I went to school, but it was a Friday. And on those days, I didn't come home. I just got in the bus and went straight to the church. And then my friend came around and she said, Gay, isn't that your dog sitting on the front steps of the church? And I got up and I raced around there and Tinker was standing on the front steps of the church. He had never been there, right? As far as I knew, he had never been out of our street over a mile away, but he was sitting at church. This was God's way of answering my prayer. Um, But as I've grown older and I've thought more about it, I've thought, why on earth did God answer that prayer? It wasn't a particularly important prayer, right, in terms of it wasn't about my testimony, it wasn't about major life decisions. But one of the things that I've thought is this was evidence that God was aware of me even as a young, unimportant person in a very, very small branch of the church, but he knew me. And although this wasn't a a really, really important prayer, for me it was, and I knew that God cared about things that were important to me at a very young age. I love how he cares about those small, those small moments in our lives and what that can do for us going forward. Thank you so much. President Johnson, we've heard some really good examples uh, from the audience about the courage that Daniel had. Does anyone in your life stand out as far as a modern day Daniel that you can tell us about? Well, of course our prophet, President Russell M. Nelson comes to mind. He's stood out and stood up for the things he believes in, Um, provides a beautiful example to us of relying upon the Holy Ghost He's, uh, in his four years as our prophet, has emphasized the fact that we're in the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's relying upon continuing revelation from our Savior Jesus Christ to lead and guide and direct us. So I think he's a wonderful example of saying, I'll turn it to the Lord, and I'll trust in him. Thank you so much. Well, as we uh, close up this uh, final topic of, of Daniel and this discussion. Um, I, I want to hear from one of our, our modern prophets. And uh, we have a wonderful quote from President Monson talking about the strength of Daniel and what we can learn from him. And he says, of course, we will face fear, experience ridicule and meet opposition. Let us have the courage to defy the consensus, the courage to stand for principle, courage not compromise brings a smile of God's approval. Mm. And I love that. I love that we are accountable to a loving Heavenly Father. And when we face decisions, you know, always remembering that we are His sons and daughters, I think will help us out in those choices. And thank you both so much for, for sharing with us your experiences. Uh, there's a lot that we still need to get to uh, as we move on to footnotes. Um, but this discussion has been wonderful and our audience has been great. Thanks for sharing. Uh, with us, your testimonies and your, uh, your experiences as we've talked about. Uh, the second topic, uh, the godly courage of Daniel. My biggest takeaway from Come Follow Up today was that courage looks different for everyone and that um, our circumstances might be very unique, especially to those from Daniel. I mean, obviously we don't live in the same circumstances and we probably won't be thrown into a den of lions. 
but each of us encounters something that scares us every day. And um, we're given the opportunity to, divinely, I think, to encounter things that shape us. And we can, and it's an opportunity for us to lean into that discomfort and go to God for uh, that courage and to continue evaluating and shaping our own faith uh, in the face of opposition. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. All right, I, I feel like it's, we talked about so many good things in the first part of the show, yet there's still so much uh, to get into. So I'm really, really excited. But first, we have to address this fiery flame that is before us. We have a lot of examples with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have a fire as a light, an example. Where should we start with our lovely burning flame? Well, I think um, it's important because fire can do a number of things. It can be a positive example, but it also can be a very destructive example, okay. right? And then um, the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was meant to be a destructive mm -hmm. element. And it was for some of them. <laughs> yes, yeah. that, right. But it ends up being a very positive type of experience because they not only see the power of God manifest in their life, but they have the Son of Man there with him. And I wonder whether they would have had the physical or spiritual, I guess, the spiritual ability to see the Son of Man if they weren't in the fire with him. Right. And Son mm. of Man's a really important uh, concept in Daniel. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that. And I love it, in, um, and just to, uh, to reference, uh, in verse 25 of chapter three, uh, he answered and said, lo, I see four men loose uh, walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Mm. President Johnson? Well, I would expect that they had the comforter with them, right? And the comforter is the Holy Ghost. We refer to the confirmation or receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost as baptism by fire. Oh, yes. um, and so I suspect that as they stepped into that fiery furnace, they, they would have naturally had the Holy Ghost, I hope comforting them, but I'm certain that the Holy Ghost was with them. And, mm. and what impressions he was giving, I can't be certain, um, but we know that he does provide comfort in our times of need. Mm. Right. So what a great blessing that we all have the, the benefit of the comforter, that baptism by fire. You know, something else we've talked about, the, the baptism by fire spiritually, but physically fire is very cleansing. Yeah. Yeah. It's purifying, um, you know, getting rid of some of the impurities, for example, in gold, when you heat it up, it gets rid of those things. And so there's a lot of uh, different analogies that we can take and draw from this example of, of fire. Um, okay, so there's one aspect of, of Daniel that um, we have to get to. Um, as far as this dream, we see this theme of, of Daniel interpreting dreams. And uh, there's some really quite significant ones that if we're not careful, we can, they can be overlooked and we'll miss it. And he does it several times. Um, and it's the first dream that he interprets, what really kind of puts Daniel in, in the, the light uh, that draws attention to him. Uh, Gage, do you mind talking to us about this dream? And maybe we can go walk through uh, with President Johnson uh, together on some of the interpretations of this dream? Absolutely. So 
Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, um, but he wants to know the interpretation of it. That's not unusual. But he goes to, and uh, if we look at chapter, end of chapter 1, uh, verse 20, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. So he comes up there and he wants to say, I've had a dream, but um, I want you to tell me what it is. And the religious people in his realm, his religious people said, you know, that's not fair, <laughs> right? Uh, you've never asked us to do this before. It's not possible. You can't do it. And Nebuchadnezzar is a little bit upset about that. And he's willing to, to take them all out yeah. until they, Daniel hears about it. Yeah. And again, I really find it so interesting that um, he really wants, he's serious about understanding this dream that he doesn't, because they, they're, they're, they, they want to know what the dream is. Tell us a dream. And he's like, no, 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 no. It really shows that he's sincere. And we see that kind of with, with Darius as well, that they have this sincerity for, for truth, that when they see it, they make decisions that are based off of, of what they're learning. As we continue on with his dream, uh, what else, uh, what are some specifics that we need to know and understand about his dream? Well, one of the things I love about this part is um, Daniel is really bold. He goes in and says to the king, I, I, I can show you the interpretation. But then what does he immediately do? And this is verse 17. He went to his house and he made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. He invited his friends to exercise their faith wow. on his behalf as he went to fulfill this, as it turned out, very important responsibility that was gonna save all of their lives. Um, are we drawing upon the resources that are available to us? Are we asking for others to exercise their faith when we have important tasks to accomplish? It shows it's a great exercise in faith that, you know, just like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like with Dan in the lion's den. It's, they're taking that action, not knowing for sure, but they really have, they're exercising that faith and taking those, those first steps. Yeah. So we get into some of the, the specifics of the dream. There's a massive figure that has some um, very significant representations. What can we learn about that? Well, um, each, the, the, the statue or the image is going to become a statue is made up of different types of metals, right? Mm. Um, we have the first one is the metal of gold, um, of the head. Uh, then we get kind of the chest and the arms are silver. Uh, the torso um, is brass and then the legs are iron and then the feet are iron and clay. So clearly this image is trying to tell us about different aspects. It's not a single unified uh, image in this dream, but it has parts to it. And so... Uh, we, Nebuchadnezzar wants to know what do these parts represent and why is God giving him this vision? So it's like a, it's like a Frankenstein, if yeah. you want to call it that, mm -hmm. version of this statue. Yeah. And uh, each statue representing, uh, if I'm correct, one of the different worldly kingdoms right. uh, based off of the, the different metals. And then we, uh, President Johnson, we get to this, um, this stone yeah. Um, that is going to come along and destroy 
um, these worldly kingdoms. Mm -hmm. uh, do you mind talking to us a little bit about the stone and what it represents? Yeah, well, verse 34 says that the stone was cut out without hands and it, did it smites the image and it breaks. But we know that the stone that was cut out without hands is the gospel of Jesus Christ rolling forth into all the world. Um, it, it talks about that stone becoming a great mountain and filling the whole earth. And we see this as a prophecy being fulfilled as the gospel has been restored and it is filling the whole earth. Um, what, is there some significance, significance to um, that it's cut out without hands? What do we learn from Yeah, that's from the that? contrast to what the image was because all of the parts were man-made, Man, okay. right? And I think it's important that we maybe kind of go through what each of these um, metals represent okay. and what they're being yeah, told be because fun. I think that that makes uh, a lot of sense in terms of what this stone okay. is doing. So the gold here is a representation of Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom, his Babylonian kingdom. And of course that would be important for Nebuchadnezzar to see, I'm the head and I'm gold and, and all of those kinds of things. But this is a story that as great as your kingdom is, it's not going to last. And so the Babylonians are going to be replaced. And you wonder if Daniel was a little afraid to tell that part. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know if I yeah. want to tell him that part. Yeah. So we have the silver here um, is, is Persia. And uh, we see in the book of Daniel as we make this transition from the Babylonian kingdom to the Persian kingdom. Uh, then when we get to the thighs of brass, uh, most scholars look at this and see this is probably a representation of Alexander the Great and, and the Greek um, uh, empire that he builds up. And it is as great as it was. And it, it united East and West in ways that never happened before, but it is not going to last. Yeah. And they're going to be replaced by the Romans. Um, and uh, the Romans thought that they would last forever, right? So that they would live forever in glory and, and by having a kingdom that would last eternally. But this is a thing saying, no, you're not going to, to last. And then we get the, the feet here, which are a mixture mm -hmm. of clay um, and I've forgotten what the other one iron. was, iron, mm -hmm. so that they're not mixing. So these kingdoms here mm -hmm. are representing the heirs of the Roman kingdom. Um, and a lot of people see this in terms of the European kingdoms that okay. develop up there. Um, but none of these are lasting. So the stone rolling forth, the really important thing is that this kingdom will last forever, but it's not going to be a human directed kingdom. Built by armies and, you know, yeah. this world power. It's, uh, it's created yeah. by God without hands in that sense, rolling forward. And we, we see that today. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, Gay, okay, you were talking about how this stone uh, it represents the kingdom of God that is going to last forever. Um, it's going to be preserved forever. And I, I, I'm curious, um, President Johnson, your thoughts on what are we? What is being done right now to ensure that this kingdom lasts forever? Mm. Well, it's critically important that our children understand their connection to their Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it's important for them as they make covenants and uh, participate in ordinances that they understand that they are being bound to the Savior. They become covenantal members of the Church of Jesus Christ mm. of Latter-day Saints when they turn eight years old with covenantal opportunities and responsibilities. Um, and I hope we're not overlooking the, um, 
the opportunities available to our children to participate with us in the work of salvation and exaltation. Um, our, our children, we need to prepare them well uh, so that they understand that baptism isn't just an event, but it's an opportunity to enter that covenantal path. And then what we have to do is prepare them for a lifetime of covenant keeping. Um, we're, we hope that we're teaching our children well about the blessing and benefit of having the Holy Ghost as a constant companion in their life and for them to understand better what partaking of the sacrament means every single week. So they're renewing that covenant. The doctrine of Christ is an iterative process, right? We have faith unto repentance, that change. So faith, so that we change, we're baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we partake of the sacrament and we do it all over again. Every week we have that opportunity to show our faith unto repentance, we partake of the sacrament, renewing those covenants we made at the time we were baptized. Um, and for our children to understand that it is an iterative process, we're gonna do it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's not a one time and you're finished kind of thing. And then having them look forward to the ordinances and covenants that are available to them in the temple. So are there some uh, cautions that we should be mindful of to ensure that, as you said, that there, these young kids are not overlooked as in, in their role in, in bringing forth this kingdom? Well, I hope that we're talking about them in word councils. I hope that we're ministering to the children. Our primary teachers have a sacred responsibility, not just to teach a 20 minute lesson on Sundays, but to minister to the children. And what a powerful example we saw this morning as Gay and Esteban were reconnected. That was so neat. Uh, that was really remarkable and not a coincidence that as we talked about the power of example, we had someone right here in the audience that could tell us the power of a primary teacher, someone that taught him soundly these principles that he could rely upon the Savior Jesus Christ. It prompted him to go on a mission. Right, yeah. What a beautiful reunion to see that today. Um, so let's not overlook the opportunity to teach them. Let's not overlook the opportunity to allow them to participate. And I have something to say about Please that. Please right? do. Because again, I grew up in a really, really, really small branch of the church. So that when you graduated from primary, you, you got a calling to serve in the church. When I was 12 years old, I was uh, uh, called to be the uh, junior Sunday school chorister as a 12 year old <laughs> oh. who knows nothing about music. My mum was good at it, but I wasn't. And then when I was 16 to be the junior Sunday school coordinator, that was, I mean, that wasn't me. That was because of need, right? Because we need people in there. But I hope that we're also helping early on to see that this church is about them and that they have a responsibility to participate and help make it reach its destination. We have a prophet and we have apostles and we have general officers who give us some, some really, really important direction. That, But President Hinckley used to say that my calling isn't any more important than your calling. And, and I think that that's for primary teachers, but I hope we're also instilling that in our young men and our young women to, to have this opportunity because nothing helps you to kind of get a sense of and a commitment to than participating actively in it. 
Well, and just some simple examples that we've heard of in primaries, where, for example, a primary president recognizes that there's boys on the back row that are stirring at age 10 and 11, ready, ready to move on, right? But when they're given the responsibility to, to, to shepherd a three-year-old, to sit by them and maybe help them, they have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. Now we've given them an opportunity mm -hmm. to fulfill right. their covenantal obligation, yeah. to comfort those that stand in need of comfort, right? We've given them an opportunity to do that. And I think sometimes we, we overlook that, creating opportunities for them to feel like they belong because it is their church right. and they need to know that it's their church. Yes. And if we treat them as if they can't have an impact and they're gonna feel that, but if, on, the, on, on the flip side of that, if we give them those responsibilities, they'll own that. And we can see that, I mean, Esteban, you could tell he was oh. like the fact he remembered and, yeah. and we see this theme of gratitude. He was so grateful to you mm -hmm. that he made those changes in his life or kept going on that path. We see this same example with Daniel, just that pouring out of, of gratitude uh, for the blessings that he, he receives. Uh, what, what sort of role can we as, as members uh, of Christ Church, um, what are some of the things that we can do to, to better increase that level of gratitude we have um, as we go about this work? Can I just say kind of in that and part of that is one of the things that I love about Daniel, and we haven't talked about it yet that kind of relates to what you're saying, is um, while it is all well and good that we've talked about Estevan and my experience here, but I have to acknowledge, right, it wasn't me, mm -hmm. right? It wasn't me that made him remember. It wasn't me that taught him. I may have been an instrument in God's hands in some small way, but it's the Spirit of God that did that for Estevan. And, um, and I think we see mm -hmm. that here with Daniel. He's going to make that point it, back in chapter 2 as when he's talking about his, um, the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And as for thee, O king, my thoughts came into my mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter. And he that revealeth secrets maketh known unto thee what shall come to pass. Daniel is saying, I'm an instrument here, but it is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob who is helping you, is giving this interpretation and helping you to have the light to see. He circled him back to the Saviour. Yeah. Yeah. Those aren't the words that are used exactly here, but yeah. he's circling back to the Saviour. Um, the God circling that he's back, referring to is light. the Saviour, yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. He circles him back there. And, and that is our covenantal obligation, right? And responsibility to circle those that we have responsibility for back to the Saviour. And I, I love what you said. It, it's not so much about the words that we speak, but how did Esteban feel when he was with you? He felt loved. Mm -hmm. He still felt loved by you. That is your light of Christ, exemplifying the Savior's love for him. And, and because he felt that love, the Holy Ghost testified yeah. to him of the truthfulness of the things that you were teaching. Yes, you were an instrument, but you came with love. Came with love. Thank you. This has been, it's just been joyful. I love it. It's been such a, a wonderful experience. Gay, any final thoughts for us? 
Uh, my thought is, as I read Daniel and have uh, the thing that has stood out to me in this reading is that God is in control of all things. He's in mm. control of political things. He's in control of um, spiritual things. Um, but he is the one in control. It's not Daniel. It's not Shadrach, Meshach, or Bendigo. It's him. And so my thought is, am I willing to let him be in control in my life? And that's a struggle for me still. I still have parts of me who think, oh, I want to mm. own this. Um, but can I get to the point where I'm willing to give up my will completely to his will, knowing that that's how I'll become the real me, the eternal me? Mm. Um, and uh, that's an ongoing journey for me. Thank Amen. you so much. Amen. Uh, President Johnson, uh, before we uh, close up, um, would you mind giving us just some final thoughts mm. on anything we've studied or in general, anything that you'd like to say? Well, I'll just express my testimony that the truth is here in these scriptures and for, it's for us to find. And I hope that our exercise today it, uh, doesn't replace um, the personal study and prayer and impressions that'll come to, you, to all, of, all of those that are watching the program. I'm confident that if you'll turn to your Heavenly Father in prayer and ask sincerely um, the, the truth of these things that are needful for you will be made manifest to you through, through the blessing of the Holy Ghost. Um, I love that we have these programs to help us in our study. And I hope you'll use them as a springboard for your own personal relationship with these scriptures to know what's needful for you right now in this time in your life. And I, I testify that the Savior is in these pages and that as we read and understand these stories, asking for heaven's help, we'll come to know our Savior better. And I leave my testimony of him, that he's real, that he lives, that he loves us and wants us to return home. Thank you both for, for joining us today. We know that you're both very busy and your time is precious. And so it means a lot that you would spend some time here with us today as we've talked about these amazing stories and how wonderful it is that at the end of the day, it all comes down to our, our focus on Jesus Christ and the light he brings into our lives. This has been a wonderful experience as we've talked about our two topics. I can trust in the Lord when my faith is tried. And our second topic, the godly courage of Daniel. And thank you all for being with us today. We want to continue to invite and encourage you to follow through on any prompting or feelings you may have had that come to you from the Holy Ghost. Thanks again, and please join us next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. 